I would like us this morning to open our Bibles to Psalm 63. We're not going to stay there very long, but I'd like us to start there this morning. I don't know about you all, but in the busy, fast-paced world we live in, at the end of a week or at the beginning of a week, depending on how you look at Sunday, it's kind of good to be reminded, kind of realigned of the things that we're living for and things that are important. I want us to take a moment and do that as we, uh, before we start our message here. I want to read from Psalm 63, and I want us to consider ourselves. It says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because... You have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. I think as we pass through this life and we think about what we call the Christian life, and we consider that, that we were, we were all called out of darkness. We were set free. We realized at that point there was also something called surrendering. And then after that came the seeking part, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then the part about wanting to live for, with a purpose, with his purpose, what he wants for us, what he would have us to do. That being the Christian life, that being the work of the Lord, I want us to consider today um, the fact that we have spent a lot of our Christian lives doing things that we have the responsibility of doing, and they are very important. You know, we focus on our own selves, our own personal relationship with God. That is something that is focused on as Christians, about dying to self about hearing the word. A lot of people travel a long way. Some of you here have traveled a long way for as long as I can remember to hear the word. We have that responsibility, and we focus on those things for ourselves. And then, as we begin to mature as Christians, we begin to talk about our ministry, what we can do. And it's about our ministry and the focus on ourselves. And then we begin to focus on maybe the lost. You see, all these things are right and scriptural. We focus on lost people. We say, well, we need to be a light with what we say and what we do all the time, every day of our life. It's our Christian life to do that, and we're all called to do that. And it's scriptural and right. Talk about sharing the gospel and, and being involved in the people around us. We had prayer requests this morning. We talk about praying for people. That's part of our Christian life. 
that focus on those in need. And it's scriptural and it's right. And we focus on the poor and the suffering. We'll go to different countries. We'll go to third world countries and we'll, we'll help those people. And that's right and scriptural. We can even go two hours away to eastern Kentucky and there's poor and suffering. And we can go and help those people as well. And those are the people around us, the neighbors, maybe even family members that reach the end of their life. And there's a lot of suffering that goes on right there. That's a tough situation. And we focus on being a part of that, being involved in people's lives. And then, of course, the one we all know is to be with the widows and the orphans because that's pure religion. All the things I've mentioned are scriptural and right. This morning, I'd like to speak a message and ask the question, how involved are we to be in each other's lives, fellow believers? I want us to, to look at and to ask ourselves if we have a responsibility to each other as Christians. Because we focus on so many things outside of the body, outside of the church, outside of fellow Christians. And I want to ask this this morning, if we have a responsibility. I want us to pray before we start. And I want us to ask God to open up his word to help us to understand and to show us if we have anything that we need to see differently than what we maybe have always known it. And to see if God will show us a way that we may need to do things differently to our brother and our sister. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open up your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth. And I ask you to help me from being offensive or in any way that would hinder your word from coming forth, that you would use this time to speak to us all from your word. We trust you to do that, and without that, we're wasting our time. God, we thank you for doing it. We thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name. So as we think about our responsibility to each other, I don't know about you, but when I, before I started looking at this, my first response was, well, yes, I do help my brother. He needs his yard mowed. He needs to borrow my car. When his wife has a baby, we take him food. But those, are, those things are body ministry. Those are dealing with the needs of a person, the physical needs. I want us to look at today, do we have a part in the spiritual needs of each other? Do we have a part as an acting body of believers with each other? I want to take a title from a way back in the Old Testament. The title of the message this morning is My Brother's Keeper. And you all are very familiar with the story all the way back, but I will brief it just for a moment. as We go all the way back to Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel. And you all know the story well. It's when Cain, being a keeper of livestock, he had a different spirit. He was um, 
he was different than, I'm sorry, Abel was the keeper of livestock. And then Cain grew things from the field. And they both would offer a sacrifice. And God was pleased with Abel, and he was not with Cain. And I thought about mentioning the attitude of grain farmers, but being we have one in here, I won't do that this morning. But, uh, <laughs> but as we begin to read it, it says uh, God's answering Cain's question of why his sacrifice is not accepted. God says, if you, if, if you do well, in verse 7, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. And verse 8 says, now, Cain talked with Abel. And there's a lot of translations that actually say, when Cain talked with Abel, he said, let's go out to the field wasn't like they were just in a conversation. He was upset. And when Cain talked to Abel, his brother, it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out for me from the ground. So Cain asked a question, a literal question, about his actual brother. Am I my brother's keeper? And I guess today we can ask ourselves the same question on a spiritual level. level. Are we our brother's keeper? When you think about who is your brother, that's a very obvious answer. It's about a fellow believer, right? It says in Matthew 23... We have one father and one teacher, and we are all brethren. It's about those who have believed. All through, the old, all through the New Testament church, it talks about believers, fellow believers. And so if I was to ask you today about being a fellow believer, if you were to look right behind you or beside you, that is your brother, and that is your sister. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here at, here at SCA, just the same as it was back then, we have to know they are and we are each other's brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then you talk about being a keeper. What does it mean to be a keeper? A keeper, by definition, it would be one who guards, one who observes, one who protects, maybe someone who watches closely or have regard for. And it's the same Hebrew word that is in Psalms 121. I want us to turn there about how the Lord is our keeper. Turn to Psalms 121. I want to start in verse 3. It says, and he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. And that word preserve means to keep. He shall preserve or keep your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. So we think about if we've identified what it means to keep, what it means, who is our brother, the question still remains, do we have a part? 
Do I have a part in your relationship with God? Or have we decided a long time ago that it's just a personal relationship and we're all separate? That's the question that I want us all to think about this morning. There are many scriptures, many, many scriptures about this. Many scriptures talking about God's people, what God had planned, what God had decided, how he wanted us to be. Because, see, we only know now. We only know 2015. But he gave us his word to be able to see examples and to be able to understand. If we go all the way back, let's go all the way back to Numbers 32. There is an example, one of many examples, but I want to read this to you. In Numbers 32, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had very, a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, and he described many of these places that they had come through that I cannot pronounce. Then you go down to verse 4. It says, The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. You see the logic that's in this. It's perfectly logical. It's the same logic that we have today when we start to decide reasons that we do not need to be very close. And it says in verse 5, Therefore they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over in the land which the Lord has given them. And then it goes on to talk about how their fathers had done that and God had judged them whenever they brought a discouraging report and had discouraged the people. When you look all through the history of Israel, you begin to see that God would say, come out from among them. Do not have foreign wives. Do not, do not leave the inhabitants of the land. It's not would just take the bad out. He wanted his people to be together. They were a chosen people to be separate. But when we start to bring that into play today, we start talking about us as Christians. Well, there's a modern translation in, in 1 Corinthians, and it's a scripture we all know well. It talks about being separate. I'll just read it to you. It talks about coming out from among them and being separate. If I can get my Bible open here. It's right there. It says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Well, today we have a translation in it. There's an extra period in there. It says, come out from among them. Everybody agrees, period. Be ye separate. And that's translated from each other. 
because once we come out from among them and we begin to develop and knowledge increases and we begin to learn and mature, we all of a sudden don't have as much need for each other. And that's a trap because to come out from among them and be separate from the world does not mean to be separate from each other. And I want us to see that as we go into this, that with more knowledge comes an independence. We begin to isolate each other. We begin to become isolated. It's no longer important to be involved in each other's life spiritually. And as we look at that, we're going to have to throw out a whole lot of scriptures in the New Testament because there's a lot said about our relationship with each other spiritually as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And I want to ask us this morning, what is the value that you place on relationships here in Shelbyville Christian Assembly? Because I have noticed that when a particular person or family begins to devalue relationships, that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So do children. And before long, they become independent. They become independent of each other. And as we look forward as a church, I think we've got to look at that and we've got to deal with that. We need to have love for each other and a dependence, not only a dependence on God, but to see the responsibility we have with each other. It's a very difficult message. Listen, and I can see it on the faces of the people. It really is. I can see it. Because we have so many different backgrounds. We, even you take two families, a man and a woman, their backgrounds. It's completely different how they relate to relationships with each other. In my family, you, if you fell down, it was you get up. In Daisy's family, they love unconditionally. They always are about loving each other. We wouldn't have considered ourselves not to be loving each other, but we were a little bit harder line. You understand that? And every family that is here comes from a different way of looking at each other and a different way of looking at things that are the way that a person develops. We begin to look at that and have an idea about that before anything's ever said. And what happens is you bring all that to the Lord and you put it into a body. You put it into as Christians. Do we, have that do we have that responsibility? And nobody jump off the wagon yet. We're going somewhere this morning. Everybody stay here with me now. Experiences. What about the former church you were in before you came here? And the hurt that may have came from that. And then you come to a body and you are put together. You're put together with other like believers. And there's this wall that gets put up. And then years go by, and we have no part in each other in particular people. And then you look at, uh, maybe it's the old days. Maybe a lot of you here have been here a long time, and you think about how it used to be. And now you look at the way people are now, and we just can't relate. And therefore, we become isolated. We have no part in their life. There's nothing in us that is involved on a regular basis. When we begin to think about those things in our culture and how we're Americans and we're proud and we're independent and we don't need our brother, it's a difficult message, but it's something we've got to look at. But I'll tell you, it's nothing that is new. You, how do you think the Jews felt 
when they heard the Gentiles had received the gospel. What did that must be like? That's our Savior. How? That's not right. How could that be? But all of a sudden, they were fellow believers, fellow believers in Christ. There's nothing new, folks. None of us are that far different than it used to be back then. It's God's will whom he saves, and he saves a lot of different people. And if God chose to save my brother or my sister, then who am I to say, I just can't get along with that person or I can't be involved in that person's life? I'm talking about our responsibility and our role that we play in each other's lives as brothers and sisters. So God saves us. Think about this. Afterwards, he begins to guide and direct us. Nobody's here by accident. See, he begins to put us in a direction that we can grow and develop. And one of the main purposes of the church and the one main purpose of Shelbyville Christian Assembly is to prepare and develop and to grow people that will be equipped for ministry and to, and to glorify God with their life. This maturing process has to take place. That brings us all here. That's not something that we just read about. Shelbyville Christian Assembly is to be an environment of developing and growing spiritually. And doing that, my question is, do we have a responsibility to each other in that process? Do we? I want to keep asking that because I want each and every one of us to answer it in our own hearts. It talks about in Ephesians 4 that we may grow up in all things. That growing is a process. We have to have that. And re turn over to Hebrews 5. I want to read this. I want us to consider ourselves and our role in the church here today with each other. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. Very familiar scripture. But it's an easy one to read over. Hebrews 5 and verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God that you may come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. That process right there is why that I want to stand here today and tell you that we should value the time that we have doing what we're doing right now. The value of a local assembly, a value of what we call the church. What value can you place on it if it is developing you to be pleasing to God? How much of a value do we place on coming in here and today I'm going to hear something that God wants me to hear? That's the value of the local church because if the purpose, one of the purposes of what we're doing here is to prepare us, then, and that's the way that God designed it way back, 
then we should be considering how we approach coming in and being involved, not only in ourselves coming to here, but in our brothers and sisters. In a good way to see how that we have come over the years, maybe just the last month, maybe six months or a year, if you were to ask yourself, or if I was to ask everybody here, and whatever you do, don't even blink, don't raise a hand or anything, but how many people spent more than one minute praying before you came in here today that God would show you and grow you and develop you into what he wants to be? And then what if I said, this week, have we prayed more than one minute for another brother and sister in the Lord that's sitting in this room right now today? Or maybe, what about the last month? When we begin to think about that, it can locate us. And as we ask ourselves our responsibility towards each other, are we taking that serious or have we ever even recognized it? It's hard to place a high value nowadays in our modern world on a church because the simple supply and demand. There's a church on every corner. There's churches right here in town that are just a few ticks different. And we know that. And people begin to come and they'll sit, stay here or they'll go there. And before long, if the devaluing has a big, big enough effect on our lives, we soon will begin just to drift. And if the devil can get us to drift, then I think he can weaken us. I want us to see today, and we are going somewhere in this. Everybody hang in there. I want us to see the value of a local assembly and being committed here week in and week out, how that that can strengthen not only myself and you, but the people that we are intertwined with in our lives. But it doesn't come automatically. There is a process, and there is a responsibility that we have to recognize. So as we begin to look at this, we think about being part of a church, just filling a seat, or we think about following a particular person. All through history, there have been men, men of God, that people gravitated towards in a particular style of message that people liked and they listened to. And before long, their focus of attending and being a part of a body was on that individual personality. They began to where that's what they came for and that's what they wanted to hear. And we of all people could be in danger of that having a pastor of 33 years like we had. And it's something that we have to check in our own lives and think about, have we attended here all these years? Have we, have we pushed aside the responsibility if we believe we have one, for our brothers and sisters, and our focus has been on we're here because of Tom. And a way to know that is, over the last two months, have you had thoughts of, well, I don't know if we're going to stay or not? Because if it was for Tom, it's logical that you would not necessarily stay because he's gone. 
but if we have intertwined our lives and see the responsibility and the importance of being strengthened together as a body of believers, then it would not really be a question of whether or not we're leaving. It would be a question of what can we do to be encouraging, to have a part, to stir up gifts in each other, to have a part. God has a plan. He didn't bring us all here from all the different places, all the years, just to let his message, his purpose, and his word die with the pastor. We're here because he said that he would never leave us or forsake us and that the work that he started, he will finish. And that includes in every single one of us. And he is going to supply exactly what we need. But we still have a responsibility of going to the well to get water. Amen? We still have responsibilities of how we approach our part in a local assembly. Because if we're coming to it like a church picnic, wondering, looking down the aisle and seeing, wondering what I get today. If that's all we look at, then one, how can we be used to strengthen our brother and be a part in his life? And how can he have a part in mine? Because it is a two-way street that we do that. I'm going to tell you, we have a rare opportunity in this life. Everybody that is here, you have a rare opportunity to be a part of a spirit-filled body of believers. And if we look at the supply and demand and say, well, I could go down here. Who says you can go anywhere else and be a part? Because if God puts you somewhere... He has designed that that is where you are because he knows what you need and he's already in your tomorrow and he knows that he can guide and direct the words of not only the ones coming over this pulpit but from your brother and your sister and from people that he has placed you to belong. That is where you will develop. Who says that we can go anywhere we want and still develop? If we do that, we don't need the Lord. And we don't need the Holy Spirit to direct us. Because all we need to do is make a logical choice. And if we're a group of people with one foot out making a lot of logical choices, then how can the body of believers be strong? It's a sobering and it is a heavy responsibility to realize I have a part. I'm not born into this life. I've not made enough money and, and independent enough and... and have enough security and the things around me that I can just do what I want to do and still develop into what God wants. Because if that's the case, the body of believers does not have a value. We could fill three buildings this size with the people that have come and left. All of my life, I would even at some points get attached to people. They would be friends, people that I really liked. A few years later, they drift away and are gone because of this sneaky wiles and device of the devil that says we can be independent. We can be anywhere, anything we want. It's not up to where the Lord puts us. And I've watched them leave. And I'm going to tell you, if there was 500 of them that have left, you may have a dozen that have done well. And I don't know why that is. Some do go. And they do well. 
in other churches. I have friends that aren't here right now that I see regularly, and we talk about it. And I ask them the same thing. Are you doing, are you doing better spiritually today than you were? And a lot of times they say, I am. And I say, don't change a single thing you're doing. If God's presence in your life, then he's directing you. But you have to. You have to, you have to be honest enough to say, at some point, if you realize things are pretty cold, something's missing, that you may have made a wrong turn. I want us to consider our responsibility and our role with each other here at Shelbyville Christian Assembly. I'm going to tell you that for two months, Dad's been gone two months today, and there's been a lot of shaking go on, and there's been a lot of, of uncertainty and questions. I'm going to tell you one that knows the value of a strong body in local church, and that is the devil. He knows it. He knows the value of Shelbyville Christian Assembly, of people that are of like minds, of like spirit, that agree together and stand together against him. He knows the value of that. And if you look around at the leadership of this church, it's been under attack. It's been under attack on many levels, maybe with the particular men involved or maybe their families. The devil has been attacking hard because he knows the value of what we're doing right here. Even if we have forgotten it, he knows it. And I'm going to tell you, we are in a battle for the life of our church. We are in that battle. But I'm going to tell you there's a scripture that says, put on the whole armor of God. And having done all, check your armor. And having done all, stand. And we have the victory over the devil. I'm going to tell you, he has no part in what we're doing here. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of people have, have talked about spiritual warfare. It's like being in a training camp. You learn about it. We all know the, the, the movies and the, and the ideas of, you know, crawling under the wire and your drill sergeant shooting over you. Well, you know he's not going to shoot you. And we've all gone through years of training. But I'm going to tell you, it's different when you're being shot at every day. And that is where the point of this church and us as a body of believers have gotten to. We're getting shot at. I've experienced it like I have never before. Physically, mentally. We need to right now, we need to have our sword and our shield. And we need to realize we're in a battle for our church. We're in a battle for each other. And when we go into battle, if we look left and we look right and we don't even know the person beside us because we've been independent, then I believe it weakens us as a body. I'm telling you that God is in control and we have the victory, but we can be strengthened if we realize this. We have an opportunity to be a part of a spirit-filled body. Today, I want us to look at several points about how we can be involved in each other, in our roles, in the church, and as Christians, in their, our relationship with God. To be fully strengthened, we think about the focus on ourselves, our relationship with God. We think about the focus on the lost outside, and all those things are scriptural. We think about the poor and the suffering. 
But today, if we looked at our brother and our sister, are we our brother's keeper? I want us to turn to Ephesians 4. The first role or first way that I would like to to uh, to present to you to think about of whether we have a role or not is in encouragement. Spiritual encouragement. The word encouragement means inspiration to hope and service. And it enables us to have purpose to be, have encouragement. As we read in Ephesians 4, in verse 25, we consider ourselves an encouragement. It says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good that he may have something to give to him who is in need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, which also means building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ, even as God in Christ forgave you. Folks, there's no shame in needing to be edified and built up and encouraged. Men all through the Bible needed encouragement. Prophets needed encouragement. These are men that God spoke to on a regular basis. They needed encouragement. We need encouragement. Every single one of us need at some point, encouragement. We all are having trials and struggles. Some of them you know about and some of them you don't. We need to be able to be, as a body, to have a role in your relationship, in your trial, in your struggle. What if we could say and had right there on the edge of our thoughts, I'll stand with you in this trial. I'll stand with you in this struggle. When was the last time that you knew somebody was going through a trial that you prayed for more than one minute for that person? Because when you do that, you stand with that person by faith. You stand with them as a brother and sister in the Lord. How many times do we look for a way to encourage each other with a word? Just a simple thing. How many times do we do that? Because, and I don't say those things because I'm saying shame on us or shame on you. It would have to be shame on me as well. I'm just saying these things so we can locate each other with truth because we all have fallen short in this way. And I think about encouragement in the, in the struggles and the trials that we go through. And I want us to consider each other. A second thing that I want us to look at when we think about our role that we could play in each other as brothers and sisters, and that is to stir up the gift or the gifts that are within each one of us, to stir those up. 
See, it becomes a little bit sensitive at that point. See, human nature would like to come in, say hi, hit the door. We don't like to get real involved because when we get involved, it gets a little uncomfortable. And we all have our comfort. We all have the area in our lives that we're comfortable with, every one of us. And some of this is not comfortable. But I want us to consider our role in brothers and sisters in the Lord when it comes to stirring up the gifts. Turn to Romans 12. If a gift is a God-given ability, something that enables us to be useful, I want us to consider as we read through these things a gift. In verse, we can start in verse, uh, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. But as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace which is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality or simplicity. He who shows, he who leads or ruleth with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We think about gifts. There's a couple different ways that we look at that. We think of like charismatic gifts, and I don't want to get completely off, off target here, but you think about like there's groupings of gifts, there's power gifts where there's miracles, healings, you know, a gift of healing or, or, or to perform miracles, and there's gifts of knowledge, you know, where, where God gives discernment or he gives a word, or not a word, but he gives like a, or like a word of knowledge. It's something that shows, a gift that shows. Then there are charismatic gifts that say prophecy or interpretation of tongues. Those are gifts, charismatic gifts. But then there are also, as we read through here, there's gifts that are abilities. And I want us to consider those as well because sometimes we think of we want the gifts to operate. Nine out of ten of us will say, I wonder who's going to have that gift because it's not me. You know, it's easy to pass that thought right away. That's a gift for someone that, you know, walks around with their eyes big all the time, you know, with something. They're getting ready to lay hands on somebody or they're getting ready to prophesy. You know, that's different. But when we think about the abilities, like it said in here, if we were to really break it down, to minister is to serve, is service. To exhort is to call out to someone. How many of us have that ability or that gift? To give. I've found it interesting that one of those gifts is to give, to impart one's substance, or to lead or to rule. That's a gift. And that is just to maintain or oversee or to set a course. I want us today, I want us, you to take a minute. I want you to look across the room somewhere far away and look at and think of one particular person. Just take a second to do that. Just pick one person in your mind. Not, 
The one right beside you is probably your wife, but because you may think her gift is she cooks good or whatever else. But, but if you look, okay, if you've got one person in mind, just one particular person, and I want you to think about what gift do they have, my brother or my sister in the Lord? What gift do they have in the body? Think about it. We have people here work with our youth. They have a gift of communicating. They have a gift of being able to be understood and relate. They have a gift of when they speak, people can see a picture. They can understand it. That's a gift. People have that. You've got, what about the gift here of our music leaders? That's a gift. Folks, I hope that we never underestimate the importance of our song leaders and those involved in the leading of worship. That is a ministry. That is a gift. We have people who can just organize things. I wonder if I've hit on anybody's person yet. Good organizers, people who give. People are big givers. They make sure that all the needs are met. People that serve and clean and maintain the church. What about our sound system? That's a gift. It's a service. It's part of a need in the body. We have people that do city ministry, prison ministry. We have leaders. We have preachers. Folks, do you realize the importance we have in people like Brother John and Brother Jeff in our assembly? They're like the checks and balances. I'd, if I can nickname them, one be Mr. Checks and one Mr. Balances because these men are in the Word and... If you say something that's a little off, you may get an eyebrow raised or you may get somebody, they may get a comment later. But the importance of that the Word of God comes over this pulpit week in and week out is such a blessing and it is something that we have to recognize because a lot of people don't have it. They don't have those song leaders that take it as a ministry and they take it serious. Folks, it, we are a blessed church. We may be a small church, but we're blessed. We have to recognize that and the opportunity to belong. We have evangelists. We have those who are just really good at encouraging. They send cards and comments. You can't go wrong with that. People need that. We all need encouragement. We all need those. If you have a thought about another brother and sister that's going through something, and you have a thought, I'd like to tell them, well, tell them. If you can't do that, send them a card. That's part of the body. That's part of our help and our role in their spiritual lives. We have those who teach, have Bible studies. Um, on Monday nights and different nights, we have just about every night you can, you can be involved in, in some sort of a function. But I want to ask today, and I want to tell you that I believe there are a lot of gifts that are laying quiet in the church. And they've been laying quiet a long time. There are people here that could possibly be in the danger of what it says in, in Timothy 4.14. It says, do not neglect the gift that is within you. Because if you have a God-given ability that becomes an encouragement, it becomes direction, it becomes help, it becomes assistance to another brother or sister in the Lord and their relationship with God, that's a gift. And when you begin to use that and you go outside the doors and you do all these things we're talking about, 
Those are God-given abilities. That's why he has put us here. He's put us here so that we can learn and grow and develop that gift that he has. But I want to ask how we can be involved in stirring up the gift in each other. Because if you just blunder right into it, you may stir up more than the gift. You may stir a little anger in there. You know, mind your own business is a pretty common phrase used many times. But it says, do not neglect the gift that is within you. It's very important that we look at each other and we remind each other. We identify those, those gifts that we have, that we talk about it. We speak about it. Let's talk about it. If someone's doing a work, let's talk to them. Let's encourage them. Let's speak about it. Let's stir that gift within them. Let's pray for them. And then as we have opportunity, let's act upon it with each other, stirring up those gifts. Every week, being involved in each other's lives and in what, the way that God's going to use them. Another role that we may have as we begin to come to an end here is to protect each other spiritually. We all have mountains and valleys in our life. We all have those moments. You can look through the history of the, all through the Bible. People drew close. People drift away. People draw close to God. People drift away. Don't think that you and I won't do that in 2015. We do, and we can, and we possibly will if we're not careful. And so will the person sitting right beside you. And there is a need in a body of believers to protect. In the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. Pastors protect congregations. One of the small things that people don't realize, they consider a pastor to protect the church from error. They don't want somebody to come in that's preaching a different Jesus. They don't want somebody coming in that confuses the people. They protect them from confusion. But a pastor has to be all things to all people. He has to be able to work with a lot of different personalities. And a lot of times, when you have conflict and trouble in the church, it's because you have two personalities that just cannot, they cannot work things out. And that's where a pastor does. He steps in and does that. And in doing so, he protects members from having this conflict go from a, mount, or from a molehill to a mountain. But to protect each other, to hold each other accountable. Turn to James 5. In James 5, verse 19, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I find it interesting in verse 19, it says, If anyone among you. That could be the person sitting right beside you. And it works both ways. It could be that I need you to speak to me and vice versa. And if you turn over to Galatians 1, it'll just verify the same thing.
I'm sorry, Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I could quickly do a fourth thing, is that we have to love our brothers and sisters with everything that we say and we do. While we're right here, turn to 1 John. In 1 John, we consider our role with each other and what it means to love our brother or sister and what we say and do. In 1 John 4, 21, it says, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The importance of loving our brother, and we all know 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about all the things we can have and have not love, we become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. The importance of loving each other. And if we ask ourselves, do we really love each other? Do we love the person that we thought of earlier across the room? Or do we love the person sitting right behind us or in front of us? It's pretty heavy because what are the chances that we must love our brother? And if we do not love our brother, we could be in danger of judgment. I think it's an important thing to take these scriptures and not just gloss over them and say, well, we love. Do we really love? Is that something just like in a relationship that we have to work at? Here at Shelbyville Christian Assembly, we're all members. These relationships take time. They take humility. They take focus. Patience. Prayer, it takes speaking and sharing with each other, but just as importantly, it takes listening. It takes understanding. It's just like the husband that spends the first years of his, life, of his marriage, and hopefully he figures this out before a lot of years, but he spends these years trying to change his wife into what he wants. And if he took the time to try to understand his wife and why she thinks the way she does, why she does the things she does, why she responds the way she does, if he could understand her, then he could begin to work with her and his marriage would completely change because we spend so much time trying to change what we don't even understand because we've never taken the time to understand it. So for any of you young guys that just been married, there you have it. That's an important point. And when you begin to understand your wife, then you can become close. You can have a closeness in your marriage. But it takes understanding. And just like that relationship, it takes understanding with each other, with the person in front of us, the person that we, we come in and see week in and week out. It takes us understanding.
But most importantly, I believe in the body of Christ with brothers and sisters, I believe that we have to be spiritually minded. We can't approach this carnally. We have to look at that we are all going and facing eternity, which is right around the corner. I am, and you are, and the person next to you. We all are. We only have a short amount of time left on this, on this earth. And we have the opportunity to be part of a body. We have an opportunity to be part of each other, to be members, members of each other, and to be involved. Just like any relationship, you can spell it W-O-R-K, work. That's what it is. And I'm asking today to you all as members of Shelbyville Christian Assembly, are you willing to work? Are you willing to work at it? There is a warning all through Scripture. If we forget our role to our brother and our sister, then we can become offensive. And if we become offensive, there's a Scripture that says, you offend one of these of mine, it's better to have a millstone around your neck thrown into the sea. That's a pretty big deal. That's bad. The Bible says a lot about being offensive. Or having a root of bitterness that can spring up in us. That comes from forgetting our role and our love for each other and losing our focus. We have a rare opportunity at Shelbyville Christian Assembly. I just want us to consider that this morning. That's the message I believe to have. I had the experience this week, first time ever, of believing that I had a message to speak and got right up here to the end and it just completely died. I mean, it, it come apart in a thousand directions. And I, just, I finally just went to bed that night and said, God, I'm going to depend on you to give me a message completely because the message that I thought we had, it, it, it very oddly wouldn't work out. And this is the message I believe he had for someone this morning. If nobody else, it was for me. Because I want to, if we pass through this life, and we partake of all the good things that we have, and we face every challenge, and we go through our life, and we raise our families, and we have our friends, I don't want to forget my role with you. And I don't want to keep you from having a role with me. I just really badly, from the bottom of my heart, want to see everybody here do well. I don't know how else to say that, but it really, it's really something that's special to me. I want to be involved. I want you involved with me. I want us to scripturally encourage each other. I want us to scripturally stir up the gifts. You can't do any better than to be used of God. And if I can be spiritually minded enough to realize that, then I can be a part of helping you do that. Amen? And if I can do that by encouraging, if I can do that by protecting, if I can do that by loving you, then I can have done my part. And I can pray, God, at the end of the day, what I did with my life, was it pleasing to you? This phase that we're going into right now is a different phase of our church. It's a different phase. There may be a slightly different tone. The core stays the same. But we may have, we, our focus may, may shift to be more about each other, 
to about our young people, to about stirring up the gifts in each one of us, to be able to, when a person has become matured and a person has become developed and capable and able and God calls them, we send them out saying, he's ready. Because the church was successful in their purpose of developing that person. I want that. I see that vision. Do you all see that? you all see the importance and the value of what we're doing right here today, week in and week out? If you take the young people that stood right here this morning, the last 10 years of their life went really fast, it seems to me like, because they were just youngsters. Like I said, I read the names and I thought, really? But the next 10 years are going to go just as fast. And if you add 10 years to your life, you add 10 years to your children, and you see that we have to focus on our responsibilities and be eternally minded. Because in the blink of an eye, we'll have a whole new generation coming and standing right here, yours and mine. And depending on whether we took the, our responsibility serious towards them, to these young men, to the ladies. That's important. That is important. I hope that today the words of these scriptures have stirred your heart. I hope it's given you a lot to think about. I don't want to ever stand up again if I have in the past and let a personality or any opinion be offensive to a people. I want to present truth. And then I want people to have their struggle with the truth if there's a struggle. Because when the ball's in our court, that's the only way we develop. When we hear these truths, then we can develop. I want us to consider, are we our brother's keeper this morning? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we end a, another meeting and we, we leave out of here and we go back to all the things we do. And I ask you, God, that you would allow any seed that was planted in our hearts to take root. I ask that there be anything in us that is offensive to you or it's a hindrance. I pray that you would forgive us and deliver us from it. God, I pray for this church that your Holy Spirit would move amongst us, that you would give us an understanding like we've never had of your purpose and what you have for our lives. God, I just confess before these people, this is your church. You're the head of this church. And we all wait on you for direction. And we honor you. And we glorify you. And we thank you for all that you've done over the years. And we thank you this morning for what you're going to do. We leave it in your hands. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.